Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is Volume 7, Issue 325, and we will be talking about Shovel Knight. You can play along with Cane and Rinse. Our next five shows are Hyperlight Drifter, Mario Kart Super Circuit, Braid, Secret of Mana, that is Seiken Densetsu 2, and continuing along with our Resident Evil series, we will then be taking on Resident Evil Zero. Uh, you can head over to canamrinse.com to find articles, features, and of course all of our podcasts, our forums, uh, get involved, see what else we're up to. And uh, if you are so inclined, you can also support us on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash Benefits of that are not only are you helping us, everything we get goes right back into the show, uh, helps us with equipment, helps us with a lot of things. You can also, for just $1 a month, which equals out to about 75 pence or about 0.85 of a euro as of recording, you can get our show one week earlier than anybody who's not subscribing. So if you want to take a, an advanced peek at some of the things that we're doing, uh, head over to that Patreon page and uh, help us out. We really appreciate it. You can also donate via PayPal if you like. Um, just head over there and search for Cane and Rinse. You can also find those links on our website as well. Uh, while you are about, you can also check out our sister podcast, Sound of Play, which we uh, do every week. And uh, that is where we focus on video game music. Uh, sometimes we have themed episodes. Sometimes it's uh, cont- contributions from the community. Beautiful show. Uh, and I think everybody here has been on it at least a couple of times. So uh, definitely pop on over and take a look at that as well. Uh, please do follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Everywhere on the internet, you can find us uh, and subscribe, review, and rate the podcast that helps us out a tremendous deal as well so joining me leah haydu in issue 325 are darren gargett the spade man the spade man indeed and uh joshua garrity for chivalry yes that's one of my favorite lines (laughs) it's beautiful so, diving into Shovel Knight, uh, this was developed and published by Yacht Club Games, directed and designed by Sean Velasco, uh, with programmers David D'Angelo and Ian Flood, artists Aaron Pellin and Nick Wozniak, and composed a, a wonderful soundtrack, which I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say about, uh, composed by Jake Kaufman and Manami Matsume. Uh, this was originally a Kickstarter project and one of the more successful ones, I believe, um, because it uh, started its goal of $75,000 in March uh going into April, uh, the month of March into April of 2013, and it ended up bringing in over $300,000 of that goal. Uh, so that's uh, it's not too bad. They got to most of their, I believe, all of their uh, stretch goals and uh, now are available on pretty much every platform you can think of. Uh, the worldwide release was a Microsoft Windows release in June 26th of 2014. Uh, then that expanded uh, onto... Uh, some other consoles. It was the same time in North America on the 3DS and the Wii U that June 26th, 2014. A little bit later in PAL territories on those two consoles. That was November 5th, 2014. Mm. And then Japan did not actually get those releases until almost two years later, June 30th of 2016. So I'm not sure what caused the delay there. Uh, OSX was September 13th of 2014. And then just a little bit after that, it actually got a Linux release, uh, October 8th of 2014. 
Later still, PS3, PS4, and PS Vita on April 21st of 2015, and then a week later, an Xbox One release, uh, April 29th of 2015, an Amazon Fire TV release, October 5th, 2015, and finally, a Nintendo Switch release on March 3rd of 2017. So when I say that you can get this pretty much anywhere you like, that is not an exaggeration. It will uh, it will run on very many things, and uh, we'll have some talk about about which of those versions we played as well shortly. Uh, very positive reviews. Uh, Metacritic, uh, I'm not going to list all of the versions again, but the lowest score uh, Metacritic-wise was an 85, which was for the initial PC version. And that ranged all the way up to a 92 for the Vita. So pretty decent scores there. And it did, in the year of its release, garner multiple nominations for multiple awards, and it did win a few. Uh, some of those would be the Best Independent Game from the Game Awards and the Best Music and Best Platformer Awards from IGN's Best of 2014. I want to mention briefly the expansions uh, to this game, which take the form of some additional campaigns. We are going to be uh, discussing those in a different recording, uh, in a different show, so um, don't be too upset that you don't get those right now, but uh, look forward to the fact that we're going to dive into those in some greater detail on a later, uh, on a later volume because they do have quite a lot of content in them and we want to make sure that we do them great justice. So uh, Shovel of Hope is the original campaign, which was originally just released, uh, as we said, as Shovel Knight. There are also currently Plague of Shadows and Spectre of Torment, um, and there will be a fourth uh, main campaign that's going to be called King of Cards, which is scheduled to release later this year. And something that I think is really cool is if you already own the game, you don't have to pay for these. These are not paid DLC. They do just update your game. So I was pleasantly surprised when I booted uh, my game up uh, many, many months after having played it the first time to find that those were already installed, along with some other nifty uh, upgrades that we will be talking about. As of April 2018, Yacht Club announced that they had sold over 2 million copies worldwide across all platforms. I don't have a breakdown of exactly which goes where, but uh, that's still a pretty nice number for a game that, uh, as we've said, did start as a Kickstarter. And uh, there's also an interesting Kotaku article saying that although, of course, the number of copies that have been sold has decreased since the original release, as you'd expect, they've actually increased in the revenue that they have uh, been bringing in from those copies. Uh, and they attribute that, this article does, uh, to the fact that when, say, the Switch version released, the price, the base price has gone up because it does include all of those enhancements and all of those extra chapters that we talked about. And although they don't charge additional for uh, existing copies, the new copies are a little bit more pricey, still not very. I, I believe that the Treasure Trove expansion is something like $25 to an initial 15 I think that's fair enough, though. Um, considering yeah. how much value you're getting, um, you're not doing wrong by the old customers because they're getting the campaigns for free. And new customers, hey, they have to pay a little bit extra, but they're getting stuff that the new customers didn't have at launch. So I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think so too. It's a, it's a really nice way to approach that. And I, I don't think that they're... Uh they're especially uh, hurting for doing that. I think it actually does them more good than it would any harm because, you know, they're getting a lot of goodwill out of that. 
uh, and still the extra from people who have bought more than one copy, which I imagine is quite a few people, uh, as, as we'll see, the, uh, the Switch version is pretty well loved. <laughs> all right, so knowing all that we know now about Shovel Knight's background, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about our own histories with the game. Uh, so Darren, did you pick this up uh, right at the start? Were you a Kickstarter backer, or uh, was this something you came to more recently? Um, no, I wasn't a Kickstarter backer. I don't think I was into Kickstarter at this point. Uh, my memory's terrible, so excuse me. But yeah, I, I definitely didn't Kickstarter because I just checked my um, kicker backup history. But, I, but yeah, that's the phrase. And uh, yeah, no, I sure. didn't. Sounds good. But I think I remember seeing it. It must have been at a Nintendo Direct video or something. Um, looking through my, my Twitter mentions or whenever I mentioned Shovel Knight on Twitter because the internet is scary and you can track everything you say if you type the right words in. Apparently, I saw it in October of 2013. So there must have been some sort of video announcement somewhere and I, I, I was very excited by it. And then it, it came to June. And I think it got a release date of like a few weeks after it got announced. So like you know, on the 6th of June, it was like, oh, it's coming out on the 26th of June. And everyone was excited, including myself. And my my cartoon friend who and uh, who I used to do podcasts with, James Perkins, he bought it for my birthday as a Steam gift, which was nice. Yeah, so I've been there since you know day one on Steam. I, I wanted it on the Wii U and uh, or 3DS, but the EU version was delayed due to Peggy ratings, and they have to send a USB over from the other side of the world. And even though it's like you know it was 2014 then, but we definitely had the internet then. And why can't they just send builds across the internet? Anyway, yeah, Good so that, that, that's, that's just a little thing that just bothered me at the time. And I just think now, are they any different now? I don't know. But at the time, I was just like, I want to play this on my Wii U because the amount of things this game homages, you know, um, parodies, I guess, it, you know, it feels right on a Nintendo platform. And I was kind of bitter that it was not on my Wii U at that time. Yeah, I, I have heard, uh, as I kind of mentioned, that I've heard some really good things about the... Um the Switch version, which I have not played, but it does seem like that would be a, a pretty good way to go about it. Mm. Uh, that is a shame that it had that kind of delay there. Yeah, uh, Josh, what about you? Kickstarter yeah. or? Yeah, I, I I tend to not kickstart stuff just because um, I, I want to avoid the disappointment. Um, <laughs> basically, um, uh, th this was one that I was aware of before launch, but it was kind of like a wait and see what people say because it looked interesting. Like the art style is great and and the music's great, but um, with with games like this, it's hard to get like a grasp of how it's actually going to play until you get your hands on it. Um, a lot of it is just feel, um, which is hard to kind of convey um, through trailers and stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to wait and see what people said about it. And then the reviews are really, really positive. Um, it's weird that, like, um, the I, I'm sure we'll get onto this, but the kind of critical discussion about this has weirdly become more positive as time has gone on, because initially people were like, um, eight nine, so so it's really positive score. But nowadays, it feels like people hold up Shovel Knight as like a masterpiece. But we'll we'll get onto that later. Um, and like, so I picked it up close to launch. I don't think it was like launch day. I think it was maybe a month or so after. But I did end up picking it up because it was quite cheap uh, on PC back then. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just it was one of the you know it was one of those times where I didn't quite. Um, 
you know, do it over one weekend or something like that. But I, I was pretty enthralled with it. I managed to get it complete uh, within a week or two. Um, and um, we'll get into... But I mean, it's if you follow me on Twitter, you know I love this game. So sorry, spoilers. <laughs> but um, we'll get into the reasons why as we uh, go into the podcast. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm much the same with... Uh... Kickstarters, I I don't tend to go that way. Uh, And actually, I don't play that many games on my PC at all. It is, it's kind of old. It's due for a refresh. It is essentially a podcasting box at this point, which is fine. Um, But it does mean that sometimes when things release on on, um, the PC or via Steam, I don't get around to them until a little bit later when they release on consoles, which a lot of them do. Uh, And this uh, I did not actually pick up until the PS4 version released. Uh, So I was almost a full year late to this particular party. Um, I picked up the physical version. So I think that most of... I, I do not have the numbers for this, but I I would guess that almost all of the formats that it came out on are probably predominantly digital sales. Um, I, As I say, I don't, I don't know that for certain. That's just kind of an anecdotal thing. But uh, it seems like most of the copies that would have been sold, um, especially the PC copies, uh, would be the digital sales. Um, this one, though, I did get as a, um, as a physical copy. And I can confirm that if you purchased the digital copy, you still get all of the upgrades and all of the uh, automatic updates that you would get if you had just downloaded it from whatever your platform of choice is. Um, because I hadn't actually played Shovel Knight for a while until I decided to do a refresh uh, for the podcast. And when I popped in my disc, everything was treasure trove uh, and just ready to go. So I thought that that was great. Um, And the physical release actually has a benefit, and we're going to talk in some detail about kind of the nostalgia factor of this game. And... One of the things that I will say is that the physical release had a little bit of an edge on that because it has one of the better game manuals that I have seen in quite a long time. It You don't really think about those much anymore, or at least I don't, but this one has one that would stand up to a Nintendo game if you if you brought it along to, uh, to, to compare it there as well. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that they went that far with the, uh, with the kind of packaging. Uh, so that was a nice little surprise as well. All right. So let's get into uh, a little bit about how this game looks and feels and plays and what the story is. And I, I want to start off with one of our, uh, pieces of correspondence from the Canem Rinse Forum, and that is canemrinse.com slash forum. You can leave us feedback on our next show or any upcoming shows that have a thread already uh, started along. And uh, this one comes from our correspondent, Mr. Ixalite, who says... Firstly, the game has pitch-perfect level design. Every stage is unique and serves up escalating and varied challenges perfectly matching the level theme. The game constantly throws new things at you, and yet whenever I died, I blamed myself, not the game. Don't get me wrong, Shovel Knight frequently made me swear like a sailor, but the controls are so good that I knew I just had to practice and stay focused to prevail. 
Plus, while the game is certainly challenging, there are a great many opportunities for the player to tailor their own difficulty. There's hidden music sheets and breakable checkpoints for added challenge, but there's also ickers, meal tickets, unlimited lives, defense-boosting armor, and relics that can make certain bosses a cakewalk. The chaos orbs in particular seem pretty overpowered. I personally found myself deliberately avoiding such assistance as much as possible in my first playthrough, no, no doubt out of a stubborn, Mega Man-inspired desire for purity. But then in New Game Plus, I needed to utilize every feature available to eke out a win in the Battle Royale. In that way, I got two radically different experiences out of the game. So, uh, let's start out uh, with a little bit about what this game is. I think I've talked enough. Would one of you like to uh, explain a little bit about the very basic gameplay of Shovel Knight? So, Shovel Knight is a 2D platformer in the ilk of uh, Mega Man or um, DuckTales or something like that. Um, it's very much playing with the tropes of NES-era platformers. And the structure is similar to kind of like a Super Mario game where you're picking levels in a big overworld. Um, there are, you know, peaceful villages that you can go to and buy equipment and upgrades and stuff like that. But the majority of the game is going through these Mega Man style levels with a themed boss at the end. And the entire level is um, themed around the kind of style and aesthetics of that boss you meet at the end. Yeah, and I think that's a really strong thing that they do, just being able to, and you mentioned Mega Man, which uh, you're going to hear a lot of us referencing other games because this this game very deliberately does reference other games. I, I think that that's one of the stronger points of the design is just how well the levels reflect the boss that you meet at the end. We're maybe skipping ahead, but I feel like the thing that hits you first when you play this game is the aesthetics before anything else it is just the visuals and the sound and the music and part like part of it is just how pretty it is part of it is just you know on a raw level it is it's incredibly colorful more colorful than any game that uh, that it's aping like no nes game mm -hmm. could ever possibly look as good as this because um they didn't have access to the full color spectrum that um shovel knight does um and the music is is just it's that kind of heart pumping music that makes you want to go on an adventure it's fantastic but also what's great about the aesthetics of this game is as you said they kind of feed into the theming like they they serve a purpose it's not just to impress you they're not it's not just eye candy or ear candy all of it kind of feeds into a mood and a feel that they want to express in every level and kind of convey the personality of the of the boss characters the the knights of uh, no quarter what i love is that they 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 basically use those aesthetics to convey character and personality in place of writing because there's not a lot of time to actually tell a story in shovel knight but the the way they use the gameplay mechanics to convey personality to convey character is incredibly effective yeah, the, the overall aesthetic for Shovel Knight is, um, you know, it is obviously NES, you know, NES inspired uh, or, you know, massively influenced. But what I did appreciate was the fact that it didn't use those consoles kind of restraints 
against the game you know it kind of it was if like like so the xbox one x and the ps4 pro are like mid-step consoles if the nes had one of them that's what i'd imagine this game would look like back in the day so you mm. know it, it doesn't it, it's obviously going yeah we, we're gonna want to be like 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 the 80s but also let's not hold the game back because of that and they've kind of you know you, you've got widescreen you've got You've got some funny little tropes in there, like you know things don't load in until the screen's scrolled all the way to the right, which sometimes just destroys my heart as I'm falling down a pit or you know into uh, through the floor into an, another area. And you think, where am I going to land? Oh yeah, they're just drawn in now because that's what Mega Man did back in the day. But also, you know, you've they use the modern architecture of PCs nowadays to make a game that is you know better than NES games, and yeah. you know the, the, the amount of games it pulls from. Again, it doesn't. It, it will nod towards them. It will give you a little, like, you know, tip its cap towards all these games, but it will never outright, from what I can remember, say, this is the Mega Man bit. It's just kind of like the flavor of the vibe is like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of Mega Man. And the Overworld map reminds me of Mario 3 and, you know, all, all these things, but it kind of takes it and runs with it and makes it its own kind of beast, so to speak. It's, um, yeah, it's very impressive. Um, I think the thing that it impresses me, just kind of bringing it back to to the overall gameplay, is how it manages to pick and choose the things that were great about that era. So that, you know, actually, you know what, the challenge, the kind of letting players learn the you know the level design for themselves without kind of be an overly guiding hand like that stuff is positive and we want to retain that for shovel knight and the whole structure of the game is built around that where it's not it's not heavily tutorializing you it's kind of using the design of the levels to do that for it just the the opening level i think is just masterful in that regard where it it, it teaches you how to jump and how to use your shovel to bounce off of things and all of that stuff without feeling like it's kind of looking over your shoulder and shouting at you for doing it wrong it's it's very subtle and that stuff it's taking from NES games that stuff it's taking from Mega Man 2 and and Mega Man X and stuff like that but also it knows when to drop certain stuff like for example in Mega Man games if you die and you lose all your lives like you have to start the whole level again Mm. and kind of bringing in some modern design bringing in like checkpoints and stuff like that is just you know it helps kind of retain what's great about those classic games but with the modern conveniences that we're used to now and if you don't want those modern conveniences guess what you could just destroy them like you could destroy the checkpoints in this game and just play them like Mega Man levels but like the fact that they've given you the option is you know that's like to me that's like one above kind of just emulating NES games like they've actually thought about it beyond that they they're not just emulating NES games they're kind of evolving them to the next step which is really fantastic yeah i do really appreciate those kind of pick and choose your own kind of difficulties that as i've um that we mentioned before you know the checkpoints can be smashed for gold or you know or treasure in terms of um yeah you know if you feel like it um but you know and that kind of reminds me of um runner 2 that they did a similar thing in that game where you could jump over the checkpoint to you know just add a little kind of extra bit of difficulty and they feel really organic and kind of you know like a natural way of increasing difficulty rather than pressing a button at the start because <laughs> Shovel Knight is a difficult game but if you if you'd have started the game with 
easy, normal, hard, you would have no idea what to have picked. So what they've done is they've kind of organically, you know, grown it in the game, so to speak. And uh, I don't think it explicitly tells you that you can smash the um, checkpoints. I'm not too sure, but I remember just doing it by accident and thinking, well, that's happened. Okay, let's just deal with that. And I feel like we're slowly edging towards the two words called dark and souls. But like, you know, it has <laughs> it, it has those vibes of like, I learned a lot from my own mistakes here. Mm. And rarely did I blame the game. You know, the, the the mastery involved is kind of evident from level one, like you say, Josh. It's kind of very Nintendo in its um, you know, in its level design, and to pull from all these other Nintendo games, it as as a homage, as a parody, it kind of feels like it's earned it. It's not like a a terrible game and gone, yeah, but we like these games. It's actually like actually yacht club games know how to make a genuinely good platform game, and also we're gonna crib from all these other ones at the same time it's um yeah I, I can see why they've sold so many copies because it is kind of up there with the best for me they definitely did excel at taking the things that worked from those types of games and kind of discarding or modifying the, the things that didn't we've mentioned the uh the checkpoints a couple of times which is that's a perfect example, I think, of kind of modifying something that, you know, maybe was not the best in some earlier games. I have read that at one point they were considering limited lives for this game. And as it stands, it does not have limited lives. You just have to start back at whatever the last checkpoint was uh, that you passed and you will lose some treasure that you can then gain back if you are good enough to get back to where you were and to uh, collect whatever it was that you've dropped. But I can't imagine that I would have stuck with this game as long and enjoyed it as much as I did if it had had limited lives and if I could run out of lives in the middle of a stage. I just think that that would be uh, a little too much for me and, and probably for a lot of people. And this doesn't make it easy, but it does give you kind of that little extra bump. And if you want to make it more difficult, as we've been saying, you can smash those checkpoints, which I <laughs> I only, in my most recent playthrough, I only broke one checkpoint and it was by accident because you get a couple of swings before it breaks for good. Uh, it, it will crack the first I think it's two times that you hit it, it will crack. And then if you hit it that third time and it shatters, you're done. You're not getting that back. And I was fighting something a little too close to it and bounced off of it accidentally one too many times. And I just was very distraught by that because I, I want those checkpoints. I think that I need them, uh, at least at this point in my uh, my skill level. So you you do have those options, but it's it's great that they have gotten around them in that way so that people who uh, accessibility is never going to be a bad thing for my money it's it's you know especially when you have the option to kind of get it get around it if you want to uh this way more people can get into and enjoy this game and i i think that's a huge part of why they did sell so many copies is they they made those concessions without making it feel like they were backing it off or dumbing it down or making it too easy for people. So we've uh, we've talked about uh, the overview and kind of the, the world map and the how, how things are physically set up. The story is pretty simple uh, and and does go along with many of the kind of earlier games you play as Shovel Knight. You are 
a uh, an adventurer uh, going after uh, in the first part of the game your friend and co-fighter, I suppose, uh, Shield Knight, and along your way you meet a number of bad knights who are all under the control of the Enchantress and the Order of No Quarter, and those are the bosses that we've kind of alluded to in the themed stages before. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit about the actual characters that you meet along the course of the story, and uh, before we do that, let's uh, just take a little look at uh, another piece of correspondence that we received from the forum. This is from Tadinho, who says, Not only is each boss very unique visually and personality-wise, but no fight is the same, with each boss having interesting movesets that require the player to adapt. Plague Knight teleports and throws bombs, Polar Knight cracks the floor with spikes, Tinker Knight jumps into a giant mech that you have to climb on, and so forth. All right, so we're there, and and this is both with the uh, heroes that you play as and play with, um, and as well as the the Order of No Quarter and their specific stages. Are there any stages slash bosses that stuck out to you guys or uh, any any that were special favorites? I've got some bosses that I'm, I'm hujely fond of. Mm-hmm. I do um I do want to touch briefly on some stuff that they do with shovel. I'll save I'll save the actual kind of conclusion for the you know the end of the podcast. Um but Shovel Knight and Shield Knight um yes. I I think the game does a really good job of subtly kind of building that relationship in mm-hmm. the uh, player's head. Um Shield Knight's great as well, just because um, they're kind of they're you know they're playing with classic kind of damsel tropes, and they kind yeah. of do some more interesting stuff with that later on. Um, but like the fact that kind of straight away, Shield Knight is your partner rather than your you know trophy, as it were. Like you two, uh, you know, have been adventuring together, and she's wearing you know proper armor and stuff like that. She's a cool design, and yes. and and I like that the you know the two characters complement each other. One's defense, one's offense. It's a, it's a cool cool thing that they've got going on there in terms of the two character designs, but also like. Like shovel knight's dreams like so in between levels like he'll you know sit by a campfire and then he'll you'll have dreams about trying to catch shield knight and like all this chaos is going like enemies will start spawning and he's trying to like defeat them while also like it's such a small thing like it's barely any kind of like characterization or any kind of writing but like using interactivity to say, "Hey, catch her," um, was really powerful in a way that I really wasn't expecting. Um, I don't know if any, like I'll get on to boss fights in a minute, but I just wanted to touch on that because yeah. it happens really, really early on. Like I think after the first stage or something like that. Mm. And uh, I wanted to see if you guys kind of had a similar reaction to that because it it really did move me a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I I I very much share the uh the the kind of feeling that you expressed there about how it's very cool that Shield Knight is not just a princess who is kind of in another castle, if you will. Um she is your your partner and it doesn't explicitly say that, you know, oh, she's your wife or she's your girlfriend, but they definitely even if it's not a romantic relationship that they have 
it is very definitely a deep relationship because they are very very strongly connected to each other which is something that i think you do get a lot of within the story and especially through those kind of dream sequences and if i'm if i'm remembering correctly in the first one that you get you don't have any enemies it's just a catch her so you you know you catch her or i i guess you don't i i've never not caught her so i don't <laughs> i don't know uh if anything happens if you don't but um you and then as you continue to get those dream sequences you kind of get more and more difficult enemies spawning around you and i i don't think that you can defeat all of them before shield knight falls so you kind of have to be fending them off and trying to defeat all of these enemies while still keeping in mind that shield knight is going to fall from the sky at some point and you want to, you really want to be able to catch her um so yeah it's it is i think a really great way to kind of portray this relationship and and i i do love that it's not it's kind of not made a big deal of that she is your equal you know she is your partner she's doing as much for you as she as you are for her or has in the past is is kind of what's implied there so yeah i i like that a lot what about you, Darren? Um, I'm going to sound quite cold and callous, but I don't really play platformers for a story. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch it and go, oh, yeah, they look cool. And then one's blue and one's red. So I can see, like, you know, the primary color kind of thing working together there. You know, mm-hmm. one one's, you know, missing and gone. And, you know, there's a nice frame where Shovel Knight's kind of kind of caressing the um the red helmet of shield knight and it looks a bit battered and you know, that's just that's the bit where I just think, you know, is there something a bit more than what they're not telling you, you know, in terms of a relationship maybe but ultimately mm. i just want to play a game and kill the dudes like i might, I might sound like a right neanderthal saying stuff like that <laughs> no but i mean like, like you know if donkey kong gets the bananas that's kind of my story for platformers and i i really appreciate that there's more to cling on here for people who want to get involved but for me i just want to pogo on people's heads or oh, no sorry not pogo i want to shovel on people's heads and get the <laughs> yeah. upgrades <Shovel> <laughs> To be fair to you, Darren, like I'm usually that as well with 2D platformers. I think a lot of my reaction to this is that I wasn't expecting it going yeah. into the yeah. game. Fair enough. And I also wasn't expecting it to be quite as good as it is. Like it's it's really effective um that they they managed to do so much with so little. The thing is, like, if if that stuff doesn't work for you, it's fine because it, actually, it's not the majority of the experience. Like, ninety percent of this is, and, and we'll get into it, is these kind of well-crafted levels based around these nights. But the fact that they put, you know, that cherry on the cake just kind of elevates the whole thing for me a little bit. The ending for the game, I think, is like ultimately what takes this to another level for me. I feel like in terms of all of the knights and stuff, like I think Treasure Knight was the one that I really kind of... Not because the boss fight was like an amazing thing. Like They're all pretty good, don't get me wrong. And they all kind of... They all move really fast and they keep you on your toes. Very Mega Man, you know. You're always feeling like you're on the verge of like dying, and you know somehow you pull off some wicked moves and you fight back. But Treasure Knight, to me, he always looked like he should just be chilling out and just doing nothing. And because he's under this, you know, spell from the Enchantress, it's kind of like he is some sort of wizard ninja with a like all this golden luxurious clothing on. And I just think it just looks super cool. And uh, the, the boss fight was just, you know, 
an absolute joy. And just before some someone's typing a tweet right now, listening to this podcast, so I just want to <laughs> cut them off. Um, you're actually talking about King Knight rather than Treasure Knight. I I would mix those up because like King Knight is got loads of treasure and, uh, and all of that. So Treasure Knight's the one that looks like um, a Big Daddy from uh, Bioshock. Yeah, sorry, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm thinking of King Knight. You're absolutely right. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, a lot of them have a similar facets to them uh but they just do so well with what differentiates them i think that yeah. uh that yeah like uh just to um reiterate what darren was just saying like i i think king knight's a great first boss um mm-hmm. just because i i think a lot of the focus of him is just how flashy he is so he's not one of the harder bosses in the game he they know this guy's going to be probably the first guy you fight um, but just like his cape and his crown and his uh, dance moves, like for lack of a better word, that's basically what he's doing. Like it's a really visually appealing fight. Pretty pretty easy to kind of master um, and kind of softens you up for the much harder ones to come. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree with Darren. He's it's a great fight. I like Specter Knight a lot. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, Specter Knight is. Um, I, I'm actually wearing my Specter Knight T-shirt right now. Um, I think they did a really good job with the design of Specter Knight. Specter Knight has kind of like this floaty, not exactly a grim, well, kind of, kind of a Grim Reaper style to to him. Reminds you a little bit of um, Death from the Castlevania games, and has a uh, a scythe that that he throws, you know, and that's kind of the main thing that you uh, are avoiding during the mm. course of the fight it's a good animation um, on that side yeah it's very Beautiful. good and yeah. it it you kind of have to you kind of have to learn that pattern pretty well uh or else you're gonna continue running into it which is what i did the first couple of times i tried to fight specter knight uh because it can be a, a bit tricky as to where you're standing versus where that side is going to go but uh i i like the design of that fight and i think that uh, that the theme is is pretty neat um with you know being able to summon skeletons in the middle of the fight and then at the very last moment your the lights go out and you kind of get your one of your first experiences with the um thing that they pull back a couple of times which is um where and i believe this is something that donkey kong country did uh if i'm not mistaken um shadow levels where you don't actually see anything Mm -hmm. it it, it, everything is black until you get uh, like lightning flashes and, you know, very briefly are able to see bits of the level. But um, you kind of have to rely on just that and, and being able to see your silhouette against whatever the background is at the time. Uh, and they, they pull that in in that boss fight. And I think it's a, a very effective method of kind of continuing that theme and throwing in a little something extra. So I think that's probably my favorite. I had a lot of trouble with Plague Knight very difficult there's a lot of things that explode in that fight it's a cool fight but that one i i probably said more bad words in that one than i did in most of the other ones plague knight's my least favorite uh just because like you you mentioned specter knight one of the reasons why Mm -hmm. i love specter knight is because he's difficult he's a challenge but it's it's learning the patterns it's learning the kind of animations and and all of that stuff and once you've mastered that like 
you just kind of flow through through that boss fight and it's it's an mm-hmm. amazing feeling and a lot of the, you know a lot of the boss fights are like that i think most of them are like that never felt that way with plague knight um it yeah. just felt like me running around uh like a headless chicken uh trying my best to survive and also do damage to him um yeah i just I really, it's not, it's not a complete, you know, train wreck. It's just, I think the, I think the, the standard is so high in this game. Like Mm -hmm. it's just noticeable when compared to the rest. Yeah. I think we, we we talked at some length about how uh, they kind of took out some of the things that weren't working from earlier eras. And I think this is something that they maybe didn't update enough because it feels like one of those almost unfair fights that you you probably could find some kind of pattern in there, but you would have to do a lot more work on it than I think most of us would. So anything else to say about any of the specific knights? They're just all really well varied and, you know, yeah. you kind of, you never feel like you're up against the same one twice, if I remember rightly, like... The Mole Knight has got some cool moves, you know, where he drills through the side of the walls and comes out the other side, you know, and the Polar Knight, you know, the spikes in this game are deadly and the fact that yes. he can just like conjure them up because he fancies it is, you know, it should be more, you know, swear inducing than what it actually is, but they kind of give you enough tools to deal with it and that's kind of the hallmark of great boss fights, right, is that you can deal with the things that are being thrown at you, so, you know, in safe, you know, that your hands are going to do the things your brain tells you them to do and you, you can be confident in that you're going to do it right. Some, some boss fights, they kind of, they come out of nowhere and, you know, they'll catch you off guard and you'll feel kind of cheated by the game because they're overly difficult. Whereas in this game, it kind of, they, they kind of just got it right and you knew what to expect because the level leading up to it had slowly and slowly increased mm-hmm. in its theme and difficulty until you got to the point of the boss where you were you know, ready for all the things that they were going to throw at you. Yeah, um, yeah, very clever game design. I'll just add on to that, that um, just to talk about them generally, um, uh, and this is something I've, I have I learned from Daniel Floyd, so thank you, Daniel Floyd, uh, <laughs> for pointing this out to me, because I notice it in every boss fight now, um, is that, like, the... Antis- uh, so they call it anticipation animations for all of the bosses are so good, like... These boss fights are so good, apart from maybe Plague Knight, but these boss fights are so good at giving you visual uh, information through their their animations. Like, you know what attack Polar Knight's going to do before he does it because of his anticipation animation. It's so clear, it's so distinct, like there's no room for doubt. And that's what I think contributes to, you know, we're, we're going to read a lot of player feedback that say, mm-hmm. like, a lot of these fights are really, really hard and really, really tough, but it never felt unfair. It never felt like I was, uh, the game was at fault. It always felt like I was at fault. And I feel like a big part of that is that kind of focus on making sure that the animations for all of the boss fights are very clear. There's no room for confusion. Um, you're always given exactly the information that you need. So we haven't spoken really about uh, two of the kind of major enemies that you face, and that is Black Knight and the Enchantress. Now, the Enchantress I'll start with uh, because she's kind of... um, 
I, I wouldn't say that there's not as well, maybe I would say that there's not quite as much to her as there is to Black Knight, uh, because the Enchantress is kind of the big bad. Uh, she's the one that has organized all of these knights into this order of no quarter and is the one kind of masterminding the whole thing. And, you you know, this is your basically your your last fight. But uh, the Black Knight, you meet pretty early on, and he is notable for being very similar in design to Shovel Knight. Also fights with a shovel, also has, you know, similar size, shape, does not actually get his own stage. Uh, well, I guess I guess he sort of does because he's the, the first kind of introductory stage boss. Um, but you kind of find out later that he was also the... Um, kind of a, a companion and a compatriot going along with uh, with Shovel Knight and Shield Knight, so, and, and does end up helping you in the end. Before we kind of go into our next little area of discussion, I did want to bring up something that uh, that was a new uh, thing that you can do with some of the updates that were put out for this game, and that is the body swap mode, uh, is what they call it. And essentially, what you can do is uh, for any of the characters in the game, uh, any of the knights, any of the NPCs, uh, your your character, uh, your uh, Shovel Knight and Shield Knight, you can swap their both their body type uh, from male to female body type, or you can also swap uh, their gender pronouns. So you can have it's it's not much of a change the sprites do look a little bit different if you if you do this uh and you know it will change the dialogue just a little bit but i thought that that was a really interesting thing to include um because it's not it's not changing the gameplay over much but i liked that i could essentially what i did is on my second go around when i saw that that was an option i went in and i just i swapped everybody so i you know i had the enchanter rather than the enchantress i had a female shovel knight and a male shield knight uh and then all of the um all of the knights from the order of no quarter i had them flip to female as well and they like, like i said they don't the sprites do not look that different, uh, even just kind of flipping back and forth side to side. The Shovel Knight sprite, uh, the female, has uh, slightly smaller horns on her helmet, and her armor has a little bit of a different shape. But, I mean, they're pretty much the same thing. Uh, it, I, I liked that they included that. Uh, it, it just kind of was, was an interesting thing that you don't really expect to see. Uh, did either of you mess around with that at all? I first played this because um, this was added in uh, for mm-hmm. a patch, I believe. Yes. So when I first played through the campaign, um, I I didn't have this option, and mm. um, since then, um, I have replayed the game. But uh, I have to admit, because you know when you get like attached to kind of your first experience of a game sure. and you kind of want it to be the same when you revisit it yeah. i didn't really play around with this just because it, i kind of wanted to retain the experience i had before um but i love that they, that it's there like i i think it's a great uh, they didn't need to do it but it's really awesome that they did do it um mm-hmm. it just means that the game feels more approachable for everyone from loads of different backgrounds where, you know, whatever, you know, wherever you kind of come on the gender spectrum and, you know, sexuality spectrum. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Like, you know, anything to make your experience more, more attachable to your oneself, I guess, you know, uh, I'm with Josh here. I kind of stuck to 
what the you know what they initially intended partially because i was there early and i didn't really know about body swap until i mm-hmm. refreshed it for the podcast and i was like this is interesting you know you can flip and flop between all kind of body types and it's just it's just really really good like more games should do that you know the body swapping is just it's just it's just great because why not? Do you know what I mean? Like it probably took yeah. a bit of work, but fair play to them. Like they actually put the effort in to make people who don't want to always play as the dude play as someone else. And you know, you can kind of you know tailor in the experience to how you want it, just to feel that bit a bit more attached to the world. Again, like these little things that come free updates, you know, uh, over the course of the duration of a game after it's been out. It, it feeds into why the game is becoming or has become so popular because Mm -hmm. the developers are listening and that's how you win at steam library sales in you know in modern days that you listen to your feedback and you you digest it and you go right what what's feasible what's what's you know what's the best thing for our game and you know just having little tiny sorry that sounds really derogatory and kind of demeaning it but it kind of you know minor kind of cosmetic changes to your character but also they're kind of massive on terms of like, you know, a, a feeling yeah. more attached to the world. I'm kind of yeah. bumbling here, but you know, if if I want to play Super Mario and they've done it in the end, but as Peach, you know, br- brilliant because why not? You know, and this is not a bad thing, and it, it, more games need to do what this is doing. You know, yeah, it's just genius. It is nice, I think, just because, uh, kind of as you were saying, that it's it's it is a goodwill gesture, and it's it's something that they didn't have to do, and it doesn't affect the gameplay really, and it doesn't have a huge effect, kind of on the game itself, but it can have a pretty big effect on how people are viewing it, and I, I think that that's really important, and uh, made me think just that little bit much more of uh, of Yacht Club. So, bravo to them on that. All right, so we've alluded to and come directly out and said things about the nostalgia factor of this game. And I want to dig a little bit more into that. Uh, So I want to start out with a couple of pieces of feedback from the forum. Uh, This first one is from uh, X Ben Blaster X, who says, being of an age where I am too young to have experienced the eight and 16 bit eras on their first go round, I've really enjoyed the current trend in reviving those 16 bit days. And one of the many games released bearing those chunky pixels, Shovel Knight is one of the best. Visually, Shovel Knight is impressive and charming. The environments are varied and interesting, which is needed, as there are more than a few sections in this game where the difficulty started to get the better of me. Boy, this game is tough. Tough in a fair way. A fair way in which, if you die, it's never the game's fault, only the fault of me and fumbling hands at the controls. I'm not usually a fan of platformers of any kind, so to be so taken in by Shovel Knight, a frustratingly difficult 2D platformer from a bygone era, is a true testament to the quality and hard work Yacht Club Games put into making Shovel Knight. And then Magical Isopod from the forum says, Shovel Knight is one of the best NES games ever made, but therein lies the catch. I want to love Shovel Knight. I see the clear love and care they've put into crafting this game, and within the constraints of the type of game they were aiming to make, it looks great. Only one issue. I simply do not enjoy NES games. My gaming career starts with the Sega Genesis, and with the exception of the TurboGrafx-16 and certain arcade titles, I have a really difficult time enjoying anything more primitive. The limited color palettes and screeching chiptunes make for an unenjoyable gaming experience, and for better or worse, the NES was projected perfectly onto Shovel Knight's core design. 
While I do acknowledge that Shovel Knight is a wonderful achievement for what it is, I personally feel, as a wee lad of 28 with no NES nostalgia, that Shovel Knight is only held back by its commitment to staying retro. There is nothing here that really feels like a marked improvement from the likes of early 90s NES titles. There was nothing to hook me to say this game is special enough to warrant your attention. It's polished to a mirror sheen, but I certainly think the game would have been better by taking even one more half-step toward the fourth console generation. You can write the greatest symphony in human history, but squander it by hiring a high school band instead of a world-renowned orchestra. Yikes. <laughs> so we got a couple of very different viewpoints there, uh, but I, I thought it was kind of important to to take both of them on board. I just want to re- respond to that, that the, mm-hmm. the uh, last post, just because like, I am also a baby. Um, I am one of the babies <laughs> of Kane Rince. I'm, I'm 27, so I'm younger than um, uh, this person here. Look, I, I don't I don't have any NES nostalgia either. Like, it, it's before my time. Like, I didn't start playing games until the you know, PlayStation 1 era, so mm-hmm. I entirely missed um, the SNES and NES era. I think for me, like, one of the things is, like, pu- purely on an aesthetic level, and this is entirely subjective, I, I, I actually do really like pixel art, and I like chiptunes. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's something that goes beyond nostalgia with those qualities to me. Like, I think those things are appealing in a way... Um, in the same way that kind of, you know, self-shaded visuals are appealing or, um, you know, deliberate kind of animation styles are appealing, like, you know, Pixar's style versus Disney's style versus, you know, Beauty and the Beast or whatever you want to call it. I think there's inherent value to pixel art that uh, goes beyond just kind of, you know, oh, I remember when I was a kid. Like, I think there's there's something universal about it I, th- that I think goes beyond. And that's a personal thing. That's a subjective thing. But that's just where I'm coming from. But also, like, I, I feel like Shovel Knight does a lot. And I, th- this is actually now kind of moving into the the topic of you know the specific influences but yeah. i think shovel knight does a lot to kind of build on on the foundations that stuff like mario 3 mega man castlevania <laughs> ducktales Zelda 2 um you know it does a lot to build on those foundations. like for example Zelda 2 that is a game that i famously despise i hate zelda 2 but i love the <laughs> i i love the way that shovel knight takes elements of Zelda 2 and applies it to this game. Mm-hmm. There are fit like in the enemy designs, in um, the level layouts, there is clear influence from that game. But it takes those influences and just polishes them a bit, like makes them a bit more accessible, moderni- you know, modernizes them a bit to the point where the the good ideas that I felt were poorly executed in Zelda 2 become well executed in Shovel Knight. So like, yeah, like it 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 owes so much to all of those games, that NES era. But I think what elevates Shovel Knight and why it's become like a firm favorite of mine is it doesn't just stop there like it it, it builds on top of those foundations yeah for sure I, I think that um what you're saying with regard to that uh, that piece of feedback is is totally valid uh what I will say to uh build on that just a bit is that while I think that just taking this as an NES throwback, um, as something that kind of follows along in the vein of the influences that we've mentioned, 
if it, if you're taking it as just that, I think that that's maybe not seeing the full picture completely, and that's that's fine if you if you really don't want to to get into that. What what I will agree with is if you do not care for that kind of aesthetic at all, if you don't have, not necessarily if you don't have that nostalgia, but if that is something that actively turns you off, then yeah. then yeah, this this is this is unapologetically going for that type of aesthetic. And while I I think, and I, I, I'm thinking that you guys would agree, uh, I, I think that it really does take it beyond just a simple remake or, or something like that. It, it, those influencers are definitely still there. So if that's not, if that's something that you have no appreciation for whatsoever, then it, it might not be your game. Uh, it, it wears those influences very clearly on its sleeve and, uh, and is proud of them. And I think that it has every right to be, um, but it's, it's more than that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I said that, not blow my own trumpet, but I did kind of say that at the start of the show that Shovel Knight kind of takes all these things, goes, yeah, this is why these things are fun, but here's our own interesting spin and, you know, we're going to run with it and make it our own. So another way that we can kind of look at those uh those nostalgic feelings is to uh delve a little bit deeper into the art design and the graphics of the game uh which are obviously very inspired by uh, early nes titles and uh and the like uh so i'm gonna read a couple of pieces of feedback on that specifically from the forum and then we can talk a little bit more about how uh how the art design affected us uh this one's from tadinho who says visually the game is going for the 80s retro look, but once again, Shovel Knight goes one step further. Personally, I find a lot of 80s platformers to be very drab looking, especially compared to their 90s counterparts. But while Shovel Knight goes for that look, the work the devs put into each sprite makes the game really pop, despite its more limited color palette, from the character sprites, from town NPCs to enemies that are beaming with personality and have great little animations to the backgrounds that range from gothic cemeteries to floating fortresses. I think the sprite work here is so good that even if you are sick of the retro aesthetic in indie games, you're likely to forgive this one and then uh steve aaron from the forum says hand on heart i love this game it was the first retro style game i downloaded for my ps4 which made me feel like i was a kid again scooched up next to my tv and my pjs playing what for all intents and purposes might be a mega man or super mario clone albeit a clone who wears fetching blue armor and wields a pretty deadly garden implement I think my fondness for this title comes from two things, and surprisingly, it's not really from the gameplay. The mechanics are nice and tight, and ricocheting off a member of the Order of No Quarter will never not be satisfying. Also, the initial difficulty is pleasantly curved, though New Game Plus can border on frustrating at times. I do like a challenge, and with stages that directly reference the likes of Ghouls and Ghosts, it's not surprising that some moments can be agreeably taxing. That being said, for for me, most of the pleasure of Shovel Knight comes from appreciating the aesthetics. The exterior backgrounds in this game are absolutely astonishing. From your first glimpses of the distant tower through the darkened trees in the opening level, right up to the neon green thunderstorm you battle through in the penultimate stage, they never cease to be anything less than brilliant. The developers have managed to generate so much atmosphere with such a limited color palette, I could practically feel the cold dawn chill in which our plucky hero awakes at his campsite. So impressive for something so arguably primitive. Personal highlights have to be the vivid yellow sunset which bursts onto screen when you reach the highest point of the flying machine stage, as well as the aforementioned acid green rainstorm which lashes down on the battlements of the Tower of Fate. So lovely feedback there. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Yeah, so I think that this is a gorgeous game. Um, 
and as as we've heard from some of our correspondents, the sprite work is is hugely uh, contributing to that. Uh, I I agree with what we've been saying uh, kind of all along here about the fact that I would much rather have some well-done sprites than some questionable 3D graphics. I really like sprite work. And, and that's not to say that 3D graphics are always questionable, but uh, for a game like this, I think that it the aesthetic is just so good. Uh, and it, it ties together so well. Um, we, we've been doing our Final Fantasy series, and something that I have mentioned in that is that they do these remakes from time to time that try to do the, uh, the 3D graphics thing. And almost every time I would rather just go back to the sprite work because they're, they're, they just look better sometimes. And I, I think that this is one of those cases. Um, so do you guys have anything uh, that you'd like to talk about on the graphics and visuals front? Just to kind of um, extend what you were saying, like I, I kind of feel that way about some modern uh, Nintendo games as well. Like uh, mm -hmm. Samus Returns came out not too long ago yeah. and that game and apparently you know by all uh, you know most parties seem to really love that game um but like i'm kind of put off by the fact that it doesn't look like uh super metroid or metroid fusion yeah. which are games that like both those games i think look aesthetically brilliant and samus returns just kind of looks good all right to me based on what i've seen and i kind of wish that nintendo and i i i'd extend this to uh, new super mario brothers as well um mm -hmm. the uh, 3d 2d uh, games like i, I kind of wish nintendo would rediscover its uh, pixel art roots just because i i just do prefer that visual mm -hmm. style for 2d games i i think just to, i've talked a lot about my um my uh, opinions on the uh, aesthetic uh, about this game throughout the podcast so instead of just talking broadly i'd just like to focus in on a couple of examples that Please. i think are brilliant like the the sleepy dragon um that oh, you yes. encounter in in the first level I just, I just think he's such a chill bro, and I, I love, I love, I love the sleepy dragon, and I love that he blows bubbles, and there, and and uh, it feels like if if you hadn't turned up and disturbed his sleep, he would just be just relaxing there for the whole day, and then you turn up with your shovel, and you just have to bounce on his head and steal the chicken that's inside of him, and it's just, I feel sorry for the guy. I kind of don't want to fight Sleepy Dragon, because Sleepy Dragon's <laughs> my friend and my brother, and uh, I feel sad for him. Um, and the the other kind of aesthetic uh, thing that I, I, I just want to uh, put a uh, spotlight on is Tinker Knight's tank, which yes. is just incredible. Like the design work that went into that thing. Like there's no way. Like this is one of those examples of the game benefiting from modern technology. There's no way that like a NES game could create something that intricate and sophisticated back then. And it looks incredible. Uh, the way it animates, all the different weapons kind of firing at you. It's just an incredible piece of animation and, and art design. Big sprites can be tough, I think. Sometimes they don't always look as good as you think maybe they should. And this game has several uh, that really just 
do wonderful things. Uh, the one that I was thinking of uh, was the, um, I don't actually know what the name of the enemy is, but it's a really big fish with a lot of teeth that has a kind of treasure chest on its head and it chases you through about uh, half a level, or it's not that much, but it, it chases you for a, a number of screens before you actually have to fight it. Uh, and that sprite is horrifying and great at the same time. But yeah, I, I think that, that not only do the, the kind of smaller sprites and backgrounds uh, stand out, I think that those bigger sprites, uh, and, and this is true for the, the sprites that they use for the boss characters as well, uh, are really great. Um, Darren, any favorites? I don't know how you pronounce it, but Trupal King, the big fish. Oh, that yes, does we haven't oh, talked yeah. about him. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, oh, I wish that dance wouldn't go on as long, maybe, like, when I go to refill my, <laughs> my chalice. But or, at the same time, it's just a delight. And, you know, the, the look on that guy's face when you visit him and he's doing his dance and all his little fish buddies dance around with it, it's just, ah, it's, you know, it's it's a joy. And, the like like you say, big art, uh, big sprites with that kind of art style, is, is you know it must be really hard to do but the kind of the way they can just seamlessly blend all these things together in one world and it works you know what i mean it's yeah it's a feat you know it's it's, it's well done but yeah that that that, that Trupal king genius like i love it i i remember having a great time with that so you uh what we're talking about here is you uh when you get to the first town you can meet up with a guy who will sell you these chalices and they're empty when you get them and he he tells you to go look for the Trupal king uh and when you find it it's basically this big red whale crossed with an apple kind of and it does a very long dance for you before it kind of spits out this uh, this potion that you can take into the chalice and it will, you know, there, there are several, I, I never used anything other than the it heals you all the way potion, but um, but there are a couple of mm-hmm. others that you can get from him as well. And it's, it is a very, I, I, I don't even know what to call it. It's, it's kind of surreal because you don't really expect that this apple whale thing is going to just be <laughs> hidden up in a corner and is going to kind of be the main source of your healing items for, for the game. And uh, yeah, I can't believe we almost forgot about him. <laughs> That's, it's, yeah, I would, I would say look that up if you haven't seen it. You know, and, and to my, it, it kind of feeds into what we were saying earlier about the organic difficulty, but yeah. I, I always kind of forgot that I had these chalices because you're so mm. entrenched in the gameplay and, you know, getting to the next checkpoint that I kind of forgot that I had them. And, you know, I, I really should have learnt my lesson and gone, oh, yeah, but I have got a chalice that can refill my health. Mm. Uh, but it also feeds into the fact that you don't have to find him and you don't have to nope. drink the stuff that he's feeding you. And it's just, yeah. you know, you, you should go see this cherry fish thing because he's a delight but yeah also you can just completely bypass it and you know not, not even realize he's there again he, the the smile look at his smile <laughs> all right uh so let's let's talk a little bit about the music um because uh as, as much as i love the, uh, the the sprite work and the visuals and the backgrounds and everything else i think that probably one of my favorite facets of this game is its music uh so start off with uh this is also steve aaron from the forum who says the music in the opening stage of this game told me everything i needed to know about what was to come namely that i was going to have a dang good time i can't remember such a joyous and driven musical score since Mega Man, an influence which the game obviously wears prominently on its sleeve jake kaufman deserves awards for strike the earth alone but the bubbly almost under the sea tones of the iron whale stage also managed to create such a gleeful experience that i often wanted to continue playing just to listen to the music 
So, yeah, I really love the music in Shovel Knight. It, um, I, I think that this is technically music that can be created by an NES chipset, but it certainly comes off as leagues beyond anything mm. that uh, that I can remember hearing um, and, and is incredibly memorable. I, I, I just think that it fits so well uh, and that the composers have done such an excellent job. So anything to say about the music and the uh, sound design as well. For me, the, the music really fits the the pace of what yeah. level you're going into it's just so like the there's a weird kind of noise that the NES makes specifically in Mega Man games it's kind of like a weird kind of beat kind of like a it's it's, it's hard to describe and but um, Shovel Knight also has it and that that's kind of for me the biggest that and the themed bosses per level is kind of like the two mm. main point of Mega Man references but you know the, the I mean just thinking about the music now and it is playing in my head and that's always a good sign because you, you know there's uh <laughs> There's catchy music earworms, so to speak, that's oh, yes. you know rummaging around your brain, and it's just it really feeds into that kind of the, the the frantic pace of what the game can be, you know, especially in the the later half or the latter half of most levels. It kind of like it ramps up difficulty, and the music's like with Super Meat Boy and other games of you know fast paced nature music and gameplay that they kind of married up perfectly and. Yeah, I haven't really got a bad thing to say about it, which kind of, I'd like to be a bit more critical about it. But it's just kind <laughs> of just, it's just nonstop bangles, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just brilliant. Yeah. And um, going back to it and playing it recently, like, you just think to yourself, like, how how do you, you know, the, the music does sound a bit more, like I said earlier, it kind of feels like a NES 1.5 console. Like, it has a few yeah. flourishes that I don't think the NES could probably... Like, there's probably more channels being used here than the NES could probably produce. But again, it doesn't let... They don't let the NES's technical limitations hold it back. And, you know, they've made chipchy music, but with kind of a bit more... A bit more polish and a bit more flourish. When I listen to the Shovel Knight soundtrack, I think of one of my favourite moments from Parks and Recreation where Tom Haverford uh, says that um, he never allow, he never lets a track onto his iPod unless it's an absolute banger. And I think that um, the entirety of the Shovel Knight soundtrack would be on his iPod because yes. every single track is an absolute banger. Um, like... I, I love the soundtrack to Shovel Knight. I think it's top to bottom pretty much flawless. Like, I can't think of a track that I don't like. Um, I think they're all brilliant. Um, some favourites of mine. Um, I really uh, I really love High Above the Land, um, which is the music that plays um, for the flying machine level, um, pro mm -hmm. uh, Propeller Knight stage. I think, like... Like Darren was saying, like um, the the music kind of makes you play, like it, it makes you play the way that you should be on that stage. Like it gets you into the mindset of that level, um, and that's especially a, especially the case for High Above the Land. You get that kind of floaty, flyy feel from the music, um, and and less so to do with levels, but like um, just like emotive moments. Like I really like. Um, St the Starlit Wilds music, the music that plays when you're at the campfire, mm -hmm. because it's it's kind of 
a motive and it it makes me feel things and like i'm not expecting that from a 2d platformer so the fact that this soundtrack encompasses like like really just joyous music that makes you want to bop your head and like yeah let's let's you know complete this level but also has some music that makes me you know you know tugs at my heartstrings like that's like it's got all bases covered so yeah i i adore the soundtrack it really does do a great job just with matching to each of those levels like like you uh, both have been saying and um it's worth also mentioning that uh, they kind of do an interesting thing. I think that there is a separate sound test, but you can also, when you mm-hmm. find uh, kind of musical scrolls in the world, you can take them back to the first village that you go into, and there is a bard there who will play whatever you bring back for for you, so you can kind of have going whatever music you found, and that's kind of neat, too. Um, I want to touch on the sound design really quickly, um, and... I only really have one thing personally to say about it, which is that I really like the sounds that they make the shovel make. Um, and that's important yeah. because, I mean, the game is the game is called Shovel Knight. This is your weapon. You know, you, this is what you're going to be swinging at, at enemies and also using to dig through the environment and also using to dig up treasure and also to bounce on uh, enemies. It, and I, I think that the noises that this shovel makes uh, just from the, the kind of slashing noise that you get when you, uh, when you swing it as you would maybe a sword for to, once you uh, upgrade your shovel, which is uh, a thing that you can do, you can uh, kind of spark along the ground and that makes a, a slightly different uh, kind of attacking noise. And, and I think they just nailed that. Um, it, it does sound, I mean, they kind of have a Mega Man feel to many of the sound effects, which is appropriate given uh, what, you know, the game looks and, and takes inspiration from. Um, that That's really all I wanted to say about the sound design, but did you guys have any standouts uh, other than shovel noises? Just the, an extension of that. I just like digging. Like, digging yes. in that game sounds really good. Um, and <laughs> I like I like I know the game's called Shovel Knight, but I was kind of surprised how much like digging of ground and and stuff like that 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 ended up being in the game. I just thought it was going to be like a quirky, oh, it's his shovel instead of his sword, like type thing. But actually, they do incorporate digging as like a, a cool thing, and the sound of like digging up gems, like like yeah. the cl- the clank of the <laughs> shovel, and then the sparkle of the gems, and and yeah, and and finding those hidden. Uh, hidden walls as well where you could just shove your shovel into the into the uh into the wall and then the whole thing uh disintegrates and you can go find a music sheet or some more treasure yeah i love the sound design for that i don't believe that they ever actually and please correct me if i'm wrong here but uh, i don't believe that they ever actually get into why you're carrying a shovel as opposed to anything else <laughs> but um but regardless of why you're doing it 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 fits i mean they they it doesn't it doesn't really feel weird beyond maybe the first in a little bit where you see hey i'm carrying a shovel and i'm beating things up with a shovel and and, as you say josh they uh they really do incorporate that to more uh elements of the game than just this is what you're using as your weapon so that's pretty cool 
uh, along those lines, uh, want to talk about uh, we've we've been talking about the gameplay, but just to kind of touch on a few extra things, I want to first pick up with the prof, uh, the professor from the forum, who says. I picked this game up on Wii U recently and gave it a shot. What I learned from this experience is there are some games that just aren't for me. Despite being a big fan of platformers, I just didn't have the patience to get good with Shovel Knight. Something about the mechanics just didn't sit right with me, and I couldn't get into that wonderful groove that you sometimes find yourself in when playing a platformer where you move at top speed and can seem to do no wrong. The visuals, while charming, didn't have any particular nostalgic effect on me. I found the loot system very frustrating. If you die, you lose loot which floats in place, allowing you to potentially pick it up. However, there is risk-reward, as it may be in a dangerous place. I often died, then didn't try to retrieve the loot, because it could mean dying again, then got to the end of the level with nothing to show for it. This meant I couldn't buy upgrades, making the game harder for me. The very person who needed the upgrades the most because I was a bad player. This seemed like a cruel cycle which benefited the best players by making the game easier for them while punishing the worst players. Somewhat counterintuitive, I would suggest. Anyway, it is likely that I'm just bitter about being bad at this game. I would still recommend it because I think there is a lot of good there. It just wasn't for me. All right, so uh, I think that the controls for me... uh, were pretty good once I got used to them. There is a little bit of a learning curve, I would say, uh, with the shovel, uh, just because when you use kind of the bounce, the pogo motion, uh, a la DuckTales, it, it it can take a little bit of getting used to, uh, to kind of predict where you're going to go when you bounce off of something. But overall, I felt it was pretty responsive. Um, and I didn't have a whole lot of trouble after that initial kind of getting used to it period uh the the death penalty uh that uh that this correspondent's talking about uh we mentioned the checkpoints uh which if you get to a checkpoint that's where you start if you uh, if you die in the course of the level but when you die um this is kind of the dark souls take a drink comparison uh which is that you do you don't lose all of your money all of your treasure but you do lose a percentage of it i i don't know exactly how much it is i think it's probably about 10 percent. you can get it back it floats as like little money bags in the air wherever you died but the kind of risk reward as he's saying here uh as he as they are saying here is um that if you died there then it's probably pretty dangerous anyway so if you try to go back for that then maybe you're not going to make it and you might kind of find yourself in this loop i never had much of a problem with this i was able to purchase most of the upgrades that i kind of wanted uh even though i wasn't necessarily the best player um did you guys have any trouble with that particular facet of the gathering system or any of the controls in general the the floating of bags i kind of get when you know you're falling down a pit and three bags kind of they do spread out a bit and they kind of float up quite higher than what i had probably initially anticipated but it was a bit of a shock for me to fall down this hole and like me lose half my money or you know a third of my money it's something that i'm not really keen on and you know, you have to... I wasn't really aware of it in this game, whereas when you're playing Dark Souls, you, you know that's what you're in for because that's all anyone bangs on about is losing their souls. Whereas here, like, I really enjoy platform games or, you know, most games where you can work towards an overall goal and, you know, in the form of progression in this mm-hmm. game is, you know, money, therefore upgrades. And so to, to see the three bags of money they kind of come in different forms depending on how much money i think you have so like the silver bags yeah. be worth less and gold is obviously more you know seeing three gold bags floating in the air 
and then it kind of when you're respawning or you know retrying the level it kind of tells you how much money is in those bags as well you're like oh god there's three grand over there and some levels are really long and the checkpoints are like so far apart in some of the levels i found it's just like oh man i've really got to go all this way just to get some of my money back uh, you know i'm not gonna lie sometimes i just all f4 the um the, the the program and closed it down and started the level again because i just i'd rather spend my money before going into a level and you know and then and, and rather than just trying to fight back for it uh, i kind of see what you're saying a little bit but you know the more the, the more i played the more confident i did get with the controls i feel shovel knight does control really well he's got a weird kind of not weird he's got he's got a bit of inertia to him and mm -hmm. you know he's, he's a strapping man he, he, if you're going to run around with a shovel you're going to have a bit of weight you know as you um flip and flop between platforms so he's got a bit of um bit of a slide to him he's got a bit of a, a bit of a slip but ultimately i do feel like the controls are you know really tight and like i said earlier on in the podcast um if i died mostly I'd, I'd put that down to me i found recently actually uh, there was like a bag of gold that i couldn't reach on my own so i just kind of used the animation of the shovel dig to grab it <laughs> and i thought oh, that's brilliant like just little things like that kind of helped me appreciate the game that side of the game a bit more like because you know it was only an extra four pixels or whatever of the animation of the shovel going to the left because i didn't want to jump and grab it but it worked and i just thought god yeah cheers for that and yeah, I, I, I understand why people don't like that side of the game, but it's something that I grew to, yeah, uh, tolerate and then and not enjoy because no one likes seeing their re rewards on the um, on the on the on a dangerous battlefield, so to speak. But you know, I just think with the, with stuff like this, kind of caution is probably best, you know, taken here. Like if you've got X amount of gold in your character before you enter a tricky level, just Try, try and spend it in the town as best you can like i went back into the town and um i, end, I ended up missing quite a few upgrades on the um on the magic side there was like because i was playing new game plus so i had quite a bit of money on me anyway i went back to the mm -hmm. town it turns out i had loads of magic upgrades that i didn't even bother upgrading which is a bit of a i could have made the game a lot more easier uh, or sorry a lot easier yeah um yeah so yeah caution is advised when playing stuff like this and if you find that the tension of losing stuff is you know i've played a lot of sea of thieves and that game is all about losing stuff because you know uh, things happen to your stuff <laughs> and my advice is little and often get it and spend it because <laughs> someone's going to take it or in this case the game's going to take it from you uh, yeah there's no real reward to having millions of gold resting on your character so just try and spend it you, you know can't take it you, with you <laughs> yeah you know someone else has got it you can't lose it I, I fell into the same kind of pattern there with, uh, I would find myself with several thousand gold before going into a level. It's like, well, I better get rid of this or else it's going to, it's going to end up floating over a pit somewhere. Uh, Josh, you, you are a Dark Souls fan. Did this speak to you? I did like it. Um, I, I think, I think they, they do give you more treasure than you need um, mm -hmm. in order to level up your life and, and all of that stuff. So it was never hugely frustrating. Um, I don't know how much of a place it really has in a 2D platformer. I mm. think ultimately if they removed this and it was you just kept your treasure and you went back to the original checkpoint, I, I think I'd be fine with that. It doesn't I, I think what I'm saying is it's one of those decisions that I don't think harms the game, but also I wouldn't miss it if it was gone. One thing so oh, I've just found a criticism of Shovel Knight. This is uh, this is uh -oh. an amazing moment for me. <laughs> 
I, I think the one thing that's interesting is that they they modernize the game so far that you have checkpoints now and you have the ability to go back to a certain point in the game, unlike Nezera games. I do find it slightly frustrating that you can't quit out of a level without undoing all your progress in that level. Um, yeah. That's one modernization that I think is missing from the Shovel Knight, and this extends to the other campaigns as well, is that I wish you could save at checkpoints and leave the game there, but instead I kind of... You know, if you're playing on Switch, you just leave the game on standby um, and until you want to revisit a level. But on PC, there were situations where I needed to walk away from the game just to rest, basically. And I just had to leave the game on. I just had to leave the PC on uh, because I didn't want to lose that progress. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the one negative thing I would say about the kind of gameplay design is just not adding that one extra level of modernization. This kind of segues nicely into talking about the difficulty, which we've been doing uh, throughout the podcast so far. Uh, but before we get there, I did just want to uh, expand briefly on a couple of things that have come up. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the treasure, and the main focus of the treasure is to purchase both um, armor and shovel upgrades, which you can get in the second town that you come across, but also to purchase sub-weapons, which is what you use use your magic on. Uh, you can also upgrade your health and your uh, your overall magic by uh, purchasing kind of these meal tickets that then you turn into uh, other characters in the first town that you get to in order to uh, do that. And that's, this is another way that you can kind of tweak your own difficulty. If you don't want to upgrade your health, if you don't want to upgrade your magic, if you want to try and get through with no uh, sub-weapons, you can do that. If you want to um, not upgrade your armor or your shovel, you can you can not do that. Uh, what I find interesting about the armor and the shovel upgrades in particular is that they're not just they get better type of upgrades. They will give you different kind of uh, perks. Your armor, uh, you can get armor that will make you tougher to move. You can get armor that will um, kind of affect your, your progress, but it's never just you have more armor. There's always kind of something else to it. And your shovel is never just your shovel hits harder. It's always something a little bit different. Uh, so that's, that's kind of an interesting thing too, and something that I don't believe you see very often. Um, but that's, that's kind of when we say that's what the treasure, uh, is for that's that's kind of what we're talking about there um but anything else that you guys would like to say about uh any of the loot systems before we kind of move on to the difficulty i didn't end up using a lot of the sub weapons because the thing i found most useful was the chalices so mm -hmm. triple king and and all of his um i cores all of that stuff I used all the time because I never was not going to want healing items and stuff like that. But in terms of the the, the relics, the weapons, um, really, I kind of just stuck to the, the flare wand, which was the projectile, and mm -hmm. didn't really touch any of the others um, outside of their kind of initial tutorial. Like, they give you, like, a little tutorial level to go through with them, don't they? Yeah. And... Apart from that, I didn't really touch the rest of them just because I didn't re like I 
I kind of wanted to. A lot of them felt like cheats, like the phase, the uh, the phase. Uh, what's it called? The phase lock. Lock it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of felt like a, a crutch, like a cheat, and I. And I, I wanted to learn the patterns. I wanted to kind of have consequence for um, not getting a jump right and not getting a, you know, guessing an mm-hmm. attack right. So it, it didn't, that didn't appeal to me. So I, I ended up just kind of sticking with the projectile. That's that's kind of what I used most. I also used the chaos spheres or chaos orbs, um, which basically is you you shoot out a little bouncy ball that can hit a couple of times before it disappears and it's pretty powerful um i i only really used it in a couple of boss fights but yeah that that one was was a good one i thought i tend to find the sub weapons come in handy for when i'm approaching enemies that are unusual so ones that are on ladders and stuff yeah. like that you know you try and find the the, the correct um or the, the most logical item to use so like if i can use the weird kind of I don't know what it is, like an anchor or something. It looks like a weird boomerangy purple mm-hmm. thing from Castlevania. It doesn't use a lot of magic, so I thought I'd, uh, you know, I'd use that at certain points and see if I could kind of cheese the system in some ways by using other ones. Um, but my favourite one's the fishing rod because why? Why wouldn't they put a fish? Why? Why wouldn't you put a fishing rod in your two D platformer for? Of course. For fun times, yeah. It's just it's just like ridiculous and in a weird. Not not in a weird way, but in in a in a way I wasn't expecting. It reminded me of World of Warcraft. You see, like you, you're playing along and you run along, and all of a sudden you see this little sparkling pit, and you're like, right, just take a break from platforming for a minute. Gonna fish up some fish or something else. I don't know what else. Is, what else is in there? Like, like a chicken in there or something? Just random items from the game that can just pop out of a hole in a platform game. Why not? I do remember the uh, the first time that I kind of ran past one of those pits that was sparkling. I thought, ooh, there's something down there. So I jumped down there. That's not what you're supposed to do. That yeah. will kill you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's probably sometimes in Shovel Knight, you, I, I struggle to differentiate between uh, a pit that goes down to a floor below you mm-hmm. and, a, and a pit that will kill you. And... Um, so, you know, it doesn't happen often, don't get me wrong. And nine times out of ten, you can tell that, you know, that that's not where you should go. But the sparkling pit was like, yep, I'm going down there. Dead. Oh, <laughs> exactly. okay, well, that, that's not there. Yeah. It is important to note that, like, you don't have to get any of these sub-weapons. You can continue along. If you want to make this a little harder on yourself, you can definitely do that. Uh, but this is not an easy game. Uh, and I, I think that some of our correspondents definitely agree with that, both some of the ones we've heard from already. And uh, this piece from uh, Shadowless Kick on the forum, who says... Shovel Knight was one of the first games I played when I got a PS4 after years and console generations spent away from gaming. Unfortunately, I found the concept and aesthetic more appealing than the game itself. Something about the way the character moved and attacked seemed slightly off to me, but it wasn't an insurmountable issue. The difficulty, however, turned out to be more of a problem. There's challenging, and then there's frustrating, and Shovel Knight hit the latter on far too many occasions. Upon clearing some boss battles after numerous failed attempts, I felt that I had merely gotten lucky and that my pattern recognition and dexterity really had nothing to do with my victory. It eventually got to the point where I was playing simply to beat the game so I could move on to another. It wasn't all bad, though. I enjoyed the characters, the music, and the game's sense of humor. Little touches like the Triple King's dance routine and surprise appearances by Chester the Relic Guy were fun and helped alleviate the frustration I often felt. So did imagining the Shovel King speaking with a pronounced lisp, which is how I heard him in my head. Since beating it, I've downloaded the additional DLC campaigns, and perhaps I'll give them a whirl sometime when I'm in the mood to punish myself. As it stands now, I primarily appreciate Shovel Knight for being one of the titles that helped lure me back into gaming, even if the actual experience wasn't quite what I was hoping for. So yeah, this game is uh, pretty tough. I 
I have a question, and I could not find proof of this anywhere, but uh, I, I would have sworn that the first time that I played Shovel Knight, uh, it was a little bit more difficult, and I don't I don't have any substantiating evidence for that other than at the end, you do run into a boss rush, which is something that I very rarely uh, approve of in a uh, in any kind of uh, game. But uh, here, yeah, I, I was not a fan. Um, but I really thought that when the game was initially released, you didn't get a heal in between each one of the bosses. You just got like two or three of them and you kind of had to space them out. Am I imagining that? I might be imagining that. I can't remember, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> I, I, this time around, I beat the boss rush on my second try. And that was only because I messed up and fell on some spikes trying to fight Polar Knight the first time around. So, but yeah, I, I could have sworn that they let you heal less often uh, the first time around, but um... the thing is, like, I, I think my my memories have now been replaced by more recent uh, playthroughs of the mm-hmm. game. But I have a feeling that you might be right. So please, anyone listening, please do confirm that. Yeah, because um, I, I but... really tried to. Because I mean, they have made so many upgrades and improvements and tweaks and everything. Uh, but that specifically, for whatever reason, I could not find. So it's. Entirely possible that I imagine that, but I I would love to hear confirmation one way or the other if anybody does know. Um, But anyway, difficulty-wise, what did you guys think? I know that this is a tough game, but did you ever feel that it was too tough, or uh, did it kind of just strike the right chord with you? It kind of ramps up. It starts off quite tricky, don't get me wrong. It's it's not a game that you're going to... You're gonna breeze through the first few levels and go, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's you know that, that's a nice easy game to play. It, it kind of starts off with the understanding that you're you know you're in for a, a you know a proper two D platformer that's gonna test your skills. And I kind of I kind of appreciate that to be honest because I played so many of them. It's kind of nice to play one that's you know it's gonna test me from the off. I do remember getting near the end and being kind of overwhelmed by the kind of the dexterity you need on you know on your fingers with the controller but you know it is manageable and then that, that's coming from someone who's played a lot of 2d platformers so i can understand why people found it you know a massive challenge especially when you've got the you know the death penalty going against you as well just yeah. to further kick you when you're down kind of so to speak but you know it's the the, the checkpoints on you know on the on the regular game they they're, they're they're more they're, there's more of them than the new game plus which is where i started to find the game a bit more patience uh testing was the new game plus in that you know there's there's only three now instead of maybe five or six and you know getting get to the next one is a you know it's a bit of a slog in new game plus and you know that's kind of what new game plus is you know you get to keep all your stuff and move on and you know it is a harder challenge for that reason but i i do find i, I do remember finding the um the original you know, start to finish game, a, a challenge, but one that I, you know, I, 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 I enjoyed. So therefore, I, you know, it was a manageable, a manageable time. Yeah. Cool. But also, you know, super tough at the same time. It's, it's, it's a tough one to, um, to kind of put into words, but it kind of, I remember that and Guacamole being a kind of a similar mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and I guess Ori in the Blind Forest, there's a theme here in that these 2D platformers seem to just be really hard, but also very manageable. And it must be a really, tricky thing to do because i've played so many 2d platformers that get it wrong and it's just a bit bit of a nightmare but yeah no shovel shovel knight was shovel right in my opinion <laughs> damn i just ruined my oh never mind that was my well, let me check that off the three world three word <laughs> review list uh <laughs> 
<laughs> Josh, did you mess at all with the uh, the new game plus? I did not, um, but uh, I, I I know that it's as as Darren says, pretty pretty testing. <laughs> um, I I did. Um, like I think for me, and I'm I'm sure Darren would actually agree with this. I think um, Super Meat Boy has kind of thrown my barometer off for two D two D platformer difficulty. So. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, um, I, I found the main game um, tough, but uh, pretty reasonable. New Game Plus is a lot harder, um, yeah. just because the um, the damage is just so much more severe, um, uh, especially with the bosses. Um, like before, like you know, there are stuff like Spectre Knight. Um, it felt like you could you could afford to make a couple of whoopsies basically, and you were you were fine. Whereas one whoopsie could really really uh, damage you um, in in the new game plus boss fights. Um, it it's great that you retain all the upgrades, so that gives you some somewhat of an advantage. But yeah, the new game plus is really tough. To be honest with you. Um, like I, I probably New Game Plus probably wouldn't be my preferred way of playing through the game again, uh, just because there isn't you know, I don't feel like I'm losing much starting from square one in terms of like uh, abilities and and so forth, just because I relied so much on the default uh, move set of Shovel Knight and um, the way you kind of gain health and and everything just kind of feels natural. Um, as you pro- progress through the game, so if I were to play the game again, I probably would just start from start the game again uh, from the very beginning. But I I do like the new game plus is there for people who want the extra challenge. Well, if uh, if you still haven't had enough Shovel Knight uh, after playing the game, you can also seek him out in some other media. Uh, there is quite a lengthy list if you kind of look uh, online, uh, especially I, I took a look at the uh, Shovel Knight wiki, which is pretty cool. Um, so I just kind of chose a few of the uh, more recognizable ones uh, to, to kind of mention. Uh, there is a Shovel Knight amiibo that you can use on your Wii U and presumably your Switch as well. Um, and he's, I, I do not have one. Uh, do either of you have a Shovel Knight amiibo? <laughs> I do. Yeah. It's, uh, it's at my desk at work, and he keeps me company through the stressful times at work. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I love the Shovel Knight Amiibo. It's one of my It's a good-looking one, yeah. Actually. It is a good one, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, I've also got the Shovel Knight Amiibo, um, you know, just because oh, it's an Amiibo, that. and I had the fever <laughs> at the time. Um, the, the transition from 2D sprite to 3D model is really impressive for the, mm-hmm. for, the for Mr. Shovel Knight himself. Um, yeah. You know, and seeing him in ukulele, uh, he was kind of like one of the best looking things in that game as well, to be honest. Like, he looked like he was, he had more work put on him. I think Yacht Club did the model themselves. So there was kind of like a unique vibe to him whilst also fitting in with the world. But he looked better than Yuka and Lele, which is, you know, <laughs> kind of, it was kind of, kind of a shame considering the game's all about them. But yeah, the, the, I don't understand quite how, I'm pretty sure Yacht Club games might agree with this, but like, the popularity of Shovel Knight himself, I don't understand why it's this massive. Like, he doesn't have much character, so to speak. Like, the, the design's brilliant, don't get me wrong. Um, but he's just in, like, lots of stuff. Like, yeah. more, like, 
you'd, you'd think Meat Boy would be in everything as well, like or something like with a bit more charisma. Charis, charisma. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um. I, I just don't understand why he's got an amiibo and you know some like other third party characters haven't. Like, what are the rules? Like, how does Shovel Knight <laughs> skip the line and get to all the good wicked stuff? Like, I, I, I'm not. I'm not complaining, but I'm just questioning. With the amiibo, I think it's really just that Shovel Knight really fits in with uh, Nintendo's aesthetic. Like, Mm -hmm. Super Meat Boy, it it very much kind of draws from Super Mario Brothers and all of that. But aesthetically, it's like an edgy 90s kid type thing. (laughs) Like, it's got an art style that I don't think drives of Nintendo. Whereas Shovel Knight's kind of really universal um, um, in the same way that the Nintendo characters are. Like, it has that kind of appeal that uh, crosses generation mm. lines. Like, kids love him, adults love him. Um, it's it's universal, and I, I think that kind of is why you see him everywhere. I'm, yeah, just, I'm just bitter there's not a binding of Isaac Amiibo, but I guess that falls <laughs> in line with the, um, yeah, the, the branding thing you've just mentioned. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with that. I, I think that he's kind of, he's recognizable enough and familiar enough that he fits in with a lot of different types of games and uh, as you know, a guest character. Mm. But at the same time, he has enough of a unique element to him that you know he stands out. That that he he adds something like you can just substitute anything for him uh it you know he he stands out because who else is carrying a shovel you know it's 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 kind of that little combination i think that maybe made him so popular uh, we want to uh kind of start wrapping up here but uh first we do have a uh a great great spectrum of uh, of uh feedback from our forum which again is com slash forum you can also reach us on twitter at canemrince uh, and we will be reading some of that feedback as well uh but first of all i want to get into uh some some things that people have sent us first uh again we will hear from steve aaron who says of course it's not all great the general enemy design is pretty forgettable, though each boss does have a very distinct visual style. They're each a little easy to defeat on vanilla difficulty, but I'll never not love smashing King Knight's stupid bucket head in. Also, I do have a soft spot for Chester, the relic seller, who kind of reminds me of a blue pixelated version of the Predator. All in all, I think Shovel Knight is throwback gaming done right. The story's simplistic, though surprisingly touching, and the mechanics are sharp, but it managed to transport me into a gorgeous world using just a few colors and very limited graphics. Getting all the trophies may prove a bit of an ask, but I'm always down for a challenge. Alex79UK says, I really enjoyed this game, a real love letter to the classic 8-bit era of platform action games. I remember it being really tricky in places too, that boss rush towards the end of the game almost had me throwing my Vita up the wall, but I stuck with it and got through in the end. I would definitely be up for a sequel, for sure. Tadinho says, For all its major aspects in the end, it's the little things that really made me love the game. Things like clearing the lich yard and going back to town to be rewarded by a little dance, being able to leave or save the dangling members of the order after the boss rush, and going through the entire game doing a minigame where you try to catch Shield Knight to go and catch her at the end, and then fighting alongside her versus the final boss. 
While Shovel Knight is aping 80s platformers, it's by no means just a retro throwback. To me, the game rises above that and asserts itself as a great game in its own right, and in my opinion, surpassing the games it was influenced by. I don't know what Yacht Club plans are after the final Shovel Knight expansion, but whatever it is, if they pour in it half the love they had while making this game, then I'm sure it will turn out great. Just want to touch on something Tadinho mentioned there. Um, One of the things that um, I love about the ending of the game is um, how it concludes um, the relationship between Shield Knight and Shovel Knight where you end up fighting the final boss together mm-hmm. and you see through the mechanics how the two characters work together, you bouncing off of Shield Knight Shield to get higher, to do more damage to the creature that was the Entrantress. Um, I just think that whole thing, instead of just having it be, oh, you jumped to save her, it's mm-hmm. like, no, it goes beyond that and says, it's not just about saving her, it's about kind of, um, you know, preserving this relationship yeah. of partnership of these two battling together, not you know to save one another, but but united, and it was yeah. just so wonderfully expressed. Yeah, you you cannot actually do any damage to the boss, to the final boss, without Shield Knight because you can't get high enough up to hit it. Um, you have to have her with you in order to kind of bounce off the shield. And she will do other stuff, like she'll block projectiles for you that I think would probably be unavoidable if um, if if you didn't have somebody blocking for you. So uh, yeah, you it's it is a nice way to wind that up and see that you know you haven't just been saving or, or working towards saving this character for nothing. It's it's also because you need her as much as she needs you. So yeah, I think that's pretty cool as well. And um, one more piece, which is from Mr. Ixalite, who says, So gameplay and content-wise, the game is pretty dang great. But what elevates it even further is wrapping everything in an incredibly appealing presentation. Of course, such things are subjective, but to me, the world of Shovel Knight is simply a joy. This obviously includes the colorful environments, the well-designed characters, and the fantastic music, but also the overall tone of the game. This is a world where you'll bomb at comedy before a grumpy toad, where every villain gets amusing closure during the credits, where the Triple King exists, and where you can do pogo jumps on Kratos' head. Yeah, we didn't just, side note, we did not mention this, but uh, there are in certain uh, versions of the game extra content or uh, kind of characters that come in, and uh, I I never actually ran into this, but apparently the uh, the Sony versions do. You can find fight Kratos, so that's that's something. <laughs> Uh, And to top it all off, the game also managed to hook me emotionally without me even noticing. The overall plot is simple yet charmingly presented, but the game completely sells me the most important thing, the relationship between Shovel Knight and Shield Knight. By tying her into the gameplay both at the campfires and later on, she becomes more than an abstract goal, and so when I beat the game for the first time, I remember feeling mortified, then tensing up through the credits, and then breathing a cathartic sigh of relief at the final shot. That's when I knew Shovel Knight was not just a collection of fun platforming challenges, but something truly special. Some may criticize Shovel Knight for not having enough ideas of its own, borrowing from games ranging from Super Mario Bros. 3 to Dark Souls. But I find that Shovel Knight synthesizes several decades worth of gaming innovation into a cohesive, unique experience that stands as the platonic ideal of a 2D platformer. Simply put, Shovel Knight is better than any of the retro games it takes inspiration from, and I can't wait to see what Yacht Club Games cooks up with King of Cards and beyond. It's very nice. Uh, so let's take a look at some three-word reviews. We got a lot for this, um, and you can send these in. We usually post the day of recording on Twitter, uh, at Kane and Rinse. 
So Mr. I Exolite says, strike the earth. Tordinio says, a great catch. Shadowless Kick says, aw, come on. Persona Blue says, perfect on Switch. Octorok385 says, sharpen thy shovel. Alejandro says, pixel perfect retro. Tom Hewlett says, pitch perfect throwback. The Tiege says, not actually shovelware. The Tiege actually had a second one, and I gave this one to myself because I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who can pronounce it the way that I think he wanted it to be pronounced, which is a very bad pun, and it got me. Yata play this. Yada, like you ought to. But but it's funny because Yacht Club made it and it's a yacht. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yata play this. <laughs> I love puns. Richard Burt says Ducktail Souls. Hail the Gilbo says Retro Done Right. Joel Abraham says brilliant chiptune soundtrack. Aaron K. Green says Spades of Fun. Nicholas Chase. My dear lady. Wes Foster says, a groundbreaking idea. And Eric Jones says, I dig it. Awesome. So Shovel Knight is a really good game, you guys. <laughs> I don't generally love very difficult games. And I say this knowing that uh, a lot of people have heard me praise Dark Souls and Bloodborne and many games that are famously difficult. But I... When a game is difficult for the sake of being difficult, sometimes it grabs me really hard like that, and then most of the time it doesn't. I don't consider myself to be wonderful at platformers, but I really love Shovel Knight. I I think that everything about it just kind of ties in so perfectly and so wonderfully that it it stands out. A lot of games will try and do this and then something about them will just kind of betray itself or it just doesn't fit, it doesn't feel right. But this not only ends up feeling like it could have come out of the late 80s, early 90s, but also at the same time feels like it absolutely couldn't have done that because it's just so well made and so well done. But the whole is, the whole cohesive um feel of the game is just so special. I, I I have actually not gotten very far into the um the expansions. So I'm looking forward to when we do our uh a follow-up show that will kind of encompass those because I'm looking forward to digging into some new content uh and some changed content in this world. Uh I, I love the way it looks. I really, really love the music and uh it, it feels great. It made me feel good about my platforming skills at the same time as it made me feel like I am the worst person at platforming ever and uh, when a game can do both of those things within moments of each other then it's it's something that I am really going to uh, gonna be a fan of so definitely do recommend Shovel Knight um, as we've said you can find it on basically any platform uh, but it's it's worth your time for sure um, Darren, what about you? Uh, I think that we are all going to have vaguely similar uh, summaries here, but um, but uh, I, I I think that that's okay. That's perfect. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and keep it short. You know, the, the, I really enjoyed my time with Shovel Knight back in the uh, 2014s, the heady days of 2014. <laughs> I thought it was a really fun, you know, enjoyable game. But in the last four years, I've never really 
thought about it other than when it crops up in um, in the news stories about the treasure trove stuff. Like, mm. I really appreciate that. I've got these content updates for for free because uh, I was there early enough to you know to to get them. And I will be dipping back into the other ones, you know, as and when they're all done, and we're going to record it for the podcast uh, in the near future or not so near future. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was never a game that really. I look back really fondly on like other platform games, you know, like Splunky, Super Meat Boy, you know, Mario and all. I, I never really thought back and went, you know, what, Shovel Knight was just absolutely amazing. Like I really liked it. And, you know, I, th- I thought it, it was, you know, so well executed as a whole thing. But never did I look back and think, you know what, I, I wish more games were like Shovel Knight. And that, that's probably, probably where, where that, that sounds really harsh, but it was just kind of, it, it happened. I really enjoyed it, and then I kind of never really thought about it until we were coming up to this podcast. And I'm really, I'm really glad that I did go back and kind of reappreciate it all. But I never really had that kind of, I don't know how you describe it, kind of like a golden moment with the games, kind of like um, near nostalgia. You know, you know when you finish, you're done with the game, and you you constantly like looking back at it, going, you know what, that game was just absolutely incredible like it's kind of epic shelf material i always found that shovel knight for me was kind of it was so great but it never really reached the heady heights of you know the best of the best and it that's probably it probably goes against what i've been saying throughout the whole podcast but i I just i just think the game is just absolutely well crafted and you know a sublime piece of work that i could even only ever dream of making but it never really entered my brain to the point where i was thinking about it 24 7 like i do with some games mm. yeah, and that's fine I'm not, I'm not i'm not asking for every game to kind of you know tickle my fancy so to speak and like you know absolutely just make my life a joy when i play it but i feel like shuffle knight deserves that in my gaming echelon but it just doesn't and i can't really put my finger on why maybe because it does crib from too many games of the past so when i when I think about Shovel Knight, I'm also thinking about six other games at the same time. Whereas, you know, some and again that kind of that's kind of counter to what I said earlier, and that it makes it its own thing. But when you say Shovel Knight, you do immediately think of Mario, Mega Man, Castlevania, la la la. You know what I mean? Whereas some some games that have entered this kind of weird thing that I call epic shelf, and that is like a, a magical bracket of games that I love. You know, um, they kind of they, uh, for me. Yeah, it kind of just misses that mark, and I, I feel bad saying that because I do really like it. And uh, but uh, yeah, I'm fumbling over my words because I'm kind of flipping and flopping between this game's absolutely amazing, but also it never really stuck in my brain as something that I referenced to people who don't normally play games. You know, that, that's when a game's something like absolutely incredible. Like if someone told me, "Oh, Darren, I really want to play," you know, I haven't played two D platform games for years. Like I haven't played one since the NES, uh, you know, or SNES, or whatever. I don't think I would immediately pick up Shovel Knight as a first, like kind of, yeah, you want to play Shovel Knight. I'd probably reference other games before that, and yeah, it's just, yeah, a weird one for me. Like I do really like it, but I, I, I just don't think it's absolutely ten out of ten amazing. Yeah, strange one. Interesting uh, con- confliction there. Uh, I-, I suspect, Josh, you are not quite as conflicted. No, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I, I, this is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, th- it's like, it's, this is one of those ones that I, it slowly dawned on me how much I love this game mm-hmm. as time went past. I think when, I initially played this in 2014. I, I, you know, still like, wow, that that was incredible. 
but like um i think it was when i realized that i was still listening to the soundtrack like two mm. years later still having the desire to replay it um over and over again um and and ultimately ended up buying free copies of it. I have a v. I had the PC version. I have the PS Vita version, and now I have the Switch version. <laughs> so I I am catered like I I could play you know Shovel Knight at home or um on the go or at home and on the go as <laughs> as the Switch goes. Um. So yeah, I I I just I adore this game. Like I mentioned, like. A couple of fumbles um, during the podcast recording. I, I think I, you know, I still think the fact that you can't save mid-level is a bit of a bummer. Um, and I think um, Plague Knight is the one weak boss out of a pretty strong lineup. Um, but like pretty much everything else is impeccable. And just you know, the cherry on the cake that you know elevates this even higher is that. I was not expecting to be emotionally invested in a 2D platformer. I came to Shovel Knight to play a fun game with lots of, you know, well-designed levels and some great mechanics and all of that stuff. The stuff that I, you know, love about Super Meat Boy and what I love about Mario and what I love about so many platformers. I was totally taken off guard by the relationship between Shovel Knight and Shield Knight, and I think the ending to this game, as as some of the forum feedback has suggested, is incredible. Like I, I was found myself uh, surprised by how much I cared about Shield Knight and 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 how like how much my heart was racing when it looked like shield knight might die at the end like the game makes you think that shield knight's going to sacrifice herself for you at the end it turns out that she's fine and you get to have your happy ending and i was moved by that and i and for as simple as the story is and as little as the characters are actually fleshed out, I think it speaks volumes about how effectively Yacht Club Games use the tools that they have on offer to express that stuff in a way where I did end up feeling moved at the end. So yeah, I I highly recommend Shovel Knight. I think if you love 2D platformers, you need to play this game. It's, It's just, it's so incredible. And the fact that it it can be that good and still have room for a emotional relationship between two characters, uh, I think is an incredible achievement. One of my favorite games of all time. High praise. Excellent. So it just remains for me, Leah, to thank Josh and Darren, as well as our correspondents, our editor, Jay, and of course, everybody listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you've liked, enjoyed this podcast as well as our others, please do subscribe, rate, review, or best of all, go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash And if you do pledge that minimum of $1 per month, you will receive every Cane and Rinse podcast one week before everybody else. So you'll be very special. Uh, as well as get an exclusive monthly mini cast with news from the world of Cane and Rinse. Next time, in issue 326, we go back to our nostalgic inspiration, but look at it from a slightly different angle with Hyper Light Drifter. Mm-hmm.